Simon Hill, welcome to FNR. Good to be with you guys. How are you? Mate, you're looking so official with your headphones on. And, <laughs> and, and, well, you know, I like to try and be professional <laughs> on the odd occasion. doesn't always work. Listen, I saw something on Twitter today, and um, uh, Twitter, of course, it's very much in vogue because Elon Musk has elevated it to a status <laughs> that it never, ever contemplated it would reach. But uh, let's t- talk about the round ball code. And you you dropped something which I thought was right on the money. You questioned quite heavily um, uh, what in heaven's name is the Queensland government doing. Uh, you were saying they're, they're very keen to host Manchester United and Crystal Palace. Isn't it Aston Villa and Leeds are on the cards oh, now? It, I, I've lost track on. of all the oh, UK teams we're trying to bring There's so down, many coming over. <laughs> So many coming over. Who knows? You wrote the tweet. <laughs> Tell me about it. What, what was the, what was the gist of it? Because I'm well. I, I agree with you. I think it. I think it's a bit crazy at the moment. Well, look, it's. I don't have any particular beef with the Premier League clubs no, coming no, over no. here. If that's what they want to do, yep. and Barcelona the same. You know, it's, it's it's good for people to watch football. You know, during our off season here. Absolutely. If we can get them along, then terrific. But. My, my my question is more that, you know, this is being shouted from the rooftops and I understand why. Um, but if they're, if they're that keen on football, then why no investment in infrastructure for our local game in Brisbane? I mean, Brisbane Raw have been playing in Redcliffe about an hour north of the city for <laughs> the best part of two seasons now. Correct. It's a great little stadium, don't get me wrong. And the atmosphere is wonderful. It's, yeah, it's fine. But it, it's it's a long way out of the city. Um, it, it's not owned by Brisbane Raw. It's owned by the, the Rugby League Club. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. you know, Rugby League Club seem to be able to to get as much money as they want uh, for redevelopments and different facilities. And that's fair enough. Good on them. Uh, that's their prerogative. But, uh, you know, from our, our code's point of view, and somebody puts uh, a graph up on Twitter today, and it's it's one that's replicated right around the country. We, ha- we are not just one of the biggest participation sports. We are the biggest participation sports in Queensland and in most other places in the country as well. And yet the government investment in infrastructure in all the states is minuscule in comparison to the other sports. Now, that's something that has to change. I'm not saying it's entirely the government's fault because I think our sport has been particularly poor at lobbying uh, for those public monies um, down the years. We don't have a lot of influence you know, we're still seen as an outsider sport and therefore our game continues to suffer. Um, you know, we've got a Women's World Cup coming here next year, which is absolutely fantastic. And I have no doubt that we'll sell out stadiums the length and breadth of the country. But normally when you get a World Cup coming to your country, the, the long-term effect is that you get at least two or three new stadiums. That's right. We're getting a stand roof, I think, at Adelaide and a couple of new changing rooms around the country. You know, it's, it is simply not good enough. And this is a story that has gone on for years and years and years. Um, look, you know, I can scream until I'm blue in the face about it and people can agree or disagree, but... You know, the fact is, is that if we're going to move this sport forward, then we've got to change this because otherwise, you know, these these big clubs from Europe, they come, they play, they take some money, they leave. And what's what what does our local game get out of it? Very little as far as I can see. Simon, I was struck watching the Matildas uh, friendly against New Zealand, uh, the first one. And that gleaming new stadium in Townsville, it was enough to make me, you know, think that the North Queensland Fury should potentially be resurrected into the A-League, such as the beautiful gleaming stadium. And, you know, I think most people assumed that part of having the Women's World Cup here would be 
to have a boutique stadium built in Brisbane as as part of the investment in football mm. and the legacy of the, the tournament? Don't think it's going to happen. Do you? Mm. I mean, not even for the Olympics when they go to Brisbane. Uh, unless we can somehow piggyback onto hockey, I think that's the latest um, thing I've heard. You know, I mean, we, we we're not you know we're not capable of getting these stadiums ourselves. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know why because of those participation rates, we really should be front of the queue. But you know, m- maybe part of this is cultural. I don't know. Um, and you're right about the stadium in North Queensland, which is is beautiful. But you know, you can, you can be damn sure that if the Cowboys didn't exist and the Fury still did that stadium would not have been built. Mm. It wouldn't have been built for football um, because it simply does not happen for our sport. Um, and just on the Fury, I think I said publicly on Twitter today, I mean, in my opinion, they should never have disappeared. But anyway, that's that's another story. I think we lost a whole generation up in that uh, neck of the woods. And uh, we, we spoke to a tremendous young footballer of uh, Indigenous background who cut his teeth at the Fury mm. and is now playing in the Indian Premier League. Uh, a terrific young guy, uh, you know, Willow, David Williams. David Williams, yeah. yeah. played played for the Wellington Phoenix, played for uh, Melbourne Heart. And wherever he goes, he is and has been an excitement machine. Um, mm. And that's one of the things we must, you know, rediscover. Uh, the Matildas have a number of Indigenous players, uh, and I think it, it, you know, clearly shows and gives them an edge. Uh, Kaya Simon, to me, every time she plays... You can see her thinking, um, you know, ways to open up defences that other players don't necessarily do. Uh, She moves at a particular tempo and pace that allows her to scan what's going up. Mm. Mary Fowler does it, you know, in a very different way. It's almost instinctive in her. Mm. But Kaya thinks her way through a game and it's just wonderful to see. And occasionally she'll just go... I'm going to have a blot at the goal and the goalkeeper's not looking or expecting this. And good things happen when she does that. So there are players out there. We want to see more of them and we want to excite more of them. And you're right, the Fury could have been or should have been, you know, helped to to, uh, to survive what was uh, an interesting phase, I think, in uh, in the game at the time. Well, it, it, look, it's a, it's a pathway for a part of the country yep. that is, you know, geographically quite isolated, even from the rest of Queensland, let's be honest, because of the distances. So, you know, we a whole generation of players from that neck of the woods, and, you know, I'll mention a couple of others from years gone by. Michael Thwaites came from up there, Zenon Caravella, uh, Frank Farina, of course, oh, yeah. famously. Yep. Uh, Steve Corica from Innisfail. You know, th- there are some good players up there. And yet, if they want to become professionals, that their path now is is a lot more difficult. Anyway, look, it's you know it would require huge investment to get them back in the league. Whether the money is is up there or the will, I, I don't know. Um, but you know, in general terms, this is about moving our football economy forward, which is something that we seem steadfastly and resolutely unable to do. You know, I hear a lot about the legacy of the FIFA Women's World Cup for 2023. And and obviously, genuinely, as a football fan, I hope there is one mm. and that it's tangible. Um, but I, I fear that a lot of it is is about gender equity, which is which is completely good and, and right. Um, but, but what's the legacy for football um, on, on the back of this? You know, we had an Asian Cup in 2015 on these shores that Australia won. The whole country went gaga for the Socceroos. And then as soon as the tournament packed up and left, 
we dropped off a cliff. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I fear the same. I have no doubts that the tournament will be absolutely fantastic. It, it will be brilliant. But what's the long-term effect, particularly for the A-League women's competition and, you know, by extension, the men's as well? Those are the things that we need to get right, our weekly bread and butter. And part of that is facilities, the right stadiums, um, the right infrastructure, coaching, development pathways, all, all those sorts of things. And you only do that by growing the football economy. And we just seem, you know, stuck on in a time war. We, we don't seem to be able to do it. Anyway, I hope it's going to change. On that subject, Simon, uh, what's your assessment of the A-League being privately run at the moment? Uh, we've gone into this new era of, of private ownership and you know, COVID is, is a huge factor, of course, but we were promised big things uh, during those Congress discussions about how much money was going to come into the game yeah. and how much investment, you know, particularly on the women's side of things. Where, where do you think it's at at the moment with the, with the APL and, and the transition? Well, look, let's be brutally honest about this. It's struggling at the moment. Now, you know, COVID is is a major factor in that. And I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for the league and the clubs who've had to deal with horrendous fixture rescheduling. Uh, I think that's meant that the fans, to a large degree, have lost the thread of, of where the season's at, which is totally understandable. Um, look, I'm prepared to, you know, to give them a, a, a pass with caveats <laughs> for this season. Not, not that it's been great by any stretch of the imagination, because I don't think it has. Um, but next season will be the proof in the pudding. You, you mentioned, you know, big cash injection. Well, I've got that, to be fair, not just the TV deal, but the $130 million from Silver Lake um, that, that has been invested in the sports and the competitions. Uh, we expect to see... Uh, a return on that in terms of the KPI starting to move next season. We need more bums on seats. Uh, we need greater promotion of the game. Um, we need bigger numbers watching on TV, both on 10 and Paramount Plus. And yes, you know, obviously I'm an employee of, of Network 10 and Paramount Plus, And, you know, we, we know that there are issues with the app. They need to be fixed as a matter of urgency as well. Uh, so all these things have to be done. I, I think it's <laughs> I, I seem to say this every single off season. This is the most important off season <laughs> yet for the game. Well, I must have said that for the last 20 years, and probably yeah. you know, my predecessor said it no, for no. the previous 40, but it's true. Um we we've got to start getting these things right. And uh, you know, the next 12 months is when I hope that we will start to see incremental progress. It won't go from zero to a hundred. But we need to see things moving in the right direction because at the moment that they're they're not. Let's be honest. At, at best, they're flatlining. So, talk to yeah, me about big off season ahead. Talk to me about the competition. Uh, Joshua and I were just talking before we came on board. There are three Melbourne teams at the very top of the tree. Uh, two mm. of them have a real good chance to claim the the premier's plate. It would have been three, except I think victory got a draw when they needed a win. Mm. That would have put them in a very interesting position with a number of games to play. Western United have had a season to remember, have they not, under Johnny Aloisi? Yeah, sure have. Um, they've been terrific for most of the season. They had a little bit of a dip where their defence seemed to go AWOL for a while, whether that's because Johnny uh, sort of changed the way they played a little bit to try and get more goals because they were winning, if you remember, in the early part of the campaign, an awful lot of games, 1-0. Correct. Um, yeah. So they've they become a bit more expansive and obviously perhaps by you know dint of that, they've, they've become a little leakier defensively, but better to watch overall as a result. 
Uh, and basically, the premiership is in their hands. You know, they, they win their game in hand, they'll go top. They win their three remaining matches, that they'll be premiers, which will be a heck of an achievement for Johnny in his first season. I think he got his recruitment absolutely spot on. And I've said this a few times, you know, over the last few months, you get your foreigners right in this competition, you've got a big chance. And his foreigners have been outstanding. Leo Lacroix, uh, Diamante, of course, we knew about anyway. He was already there. René Kurhin is starting to to impose himself on games. Alexander Priyevich is outstanding. Tom, um, Tomoki Imai, another one who was, who was here last season. You know, him, him and Lacroix, for me, are, arguably the outstanding central defensive pairing mm. of the competition. So, And he supplemented that with really good Australian acquisitions. Jamie Young, fantastic. I mean, why Brisbane let him go? I've got no idea. <laughs> ben Garucho has been very good at left back. Neil Kilkenny, uh, a what, very underrated cog in midfield. What about so, the maturation of young Lockie Wales? Absolutely. And and Dylan Perias as well. Yes, yes, you know, yes. So, so he's, he's got a great blend of youth experience and overseas quality and it, it showed um it's just a pity that you know not more people are watching them mm. which goes back to our previous question and that they haven't got a home ground anyway <laughs> we know, digress you talk about timing and how important it is in so many uh, careers and in so many things in life especially whether it be media or whether it be sport uh, johnny aloisi was the uh, the coach at melbourne heart and he recruited a guy called Orlando Engelar, mm. superstar. Only problem is, in a preseason game, he broke his leg against the Brisbane Roar in an FFA Cup trial, I think it was, or something along those lines. Lost him for 14 weeks. Gets sacked the very weekend that Engelar comes back. And Do you think this is the fork in only, the road and, for and Johnny only, Aloisi's coaching career? Well, I, I think it is. I, th- I think the, the guy's always had a great eye for picking quality and he's done it before, but maybe other things didn't play into that particular uh, that decision-making. Suddenly, though, he's got a tremendous um, back room, John Anastasiadis, mm. who knows uh, so much about the local league. He's got uh, some tremendously young, smart young kids. And as, as Simon has alluded to, what a quality squad of smarts he's brought in from overseas he's got he's got a giant uh, i love it when he goes to, anytime their center back goes either forward it's either a goal or about to be a goal and that's that that only happens because you know you pick you pick players who have a particular skill set and he's he's a monster when he goes forward and he has this lovely knack he's mm. hungry he's hungry I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, George, the, the interesting thing about Johnny is that I think the Melbourne Heart job probably was a, a bit, little bit early. early for him. I mean, mm. you know, that was the first job in his senior yep. coaching career. Yep. He's a bit yep. raw. And he went to Brisbane, talking of raw, and, uh, you know, he did quite well there for a he, season or two. Yep. Um, but there, there were things, you know, we all know that Brisbane is was and still is run on the smell of an oily rag. Sure. And I, th- I think there were some, you know, off-field, <clears throat> excuse me, issues that, that impacted upon him. Uh, that's not to excuse his, his records, you know, in the last season or two there because it probably wasn't good enough. Um, but he's probably looked at this job at Western United and thought realistically, you know, he's probably fortunate to have got a third opportunity. Uh, not a lot of coaches do in, in the A-League. You, you get two at best and that's your lot mm. with only 12 jobs. So, you know, the, the fact that he's got a third go at it, I, I think has probably really focused his 
attentions. Um, that's not to say he's not a good coach because I think he is. Um, but he's just got everything seemingly right so far this season. I mean, they've not won anything yet, but you know, they're in the finals, on which, the which is a start. Yeah. Three difficult fixtures to go, though. Yeah, Central Coast, away from home. Newcastle away, and Adelaide away on the final day of the season or their final game. But they play all their games away. They play all their games away. That is no hopes. That's true. That's true. Very well said. Certainly, they'd probably rather play play Adelaide at you know Ballarat or Tasmania (laughs) than they would at Hindmarsh, given their rockers' atmosphere. Um, So they've got a tough run in for Melbourne City, though the distraction of the Asian Champions League um, and. You know, they still could get through that group despite a couple of draws in games they could have won. Where do you think City is at with their, I guess, list of priorities? Because we knew the Asian Champions League was a big one for the ownership group um, yeah. and it may have <clears throat> ended up derailing their, uh, well, the backlog of fixtures they had to play before they left may have ended up derailing their Premier's plate push. Yeah, I don't know about that, to be honest. Um you know, the City have got Perth and Wellington to play. That's their true. last two games. Perth away. <clears throat> let's be honest. Perth are, are a mess at the moment. They, if they can't win that one, they don't deserve to be the premiers. Very cool. Wellington at home, uh, they should win that one. So, you know, that puts the onus on onto Western United. They have to win. It's it's like Man City Liverpool in many ways. Uh, you know, they they have to win all three games. I think Western to be premiers. Um, which might not be so easy. As as far as the Champions League are concerned, I still think they will go through um, as one of the three best runners-up. They've got enough points on the board, I think, although I think you need an abacus or a calculator to work (laughs) out with uh, one of the groups only having three teams in it. Goodness knows how they're going to do that. Um, I've been a little bit disappointed that they they weren't able to capitalise on on what looks on paper to be a very – ordinary group Mm. that they were in in the Champions League I think they should have won that section but you know conditions playing a game every three days 35 degree heat 90% humidity it's easy for us to sit here and say oh well you should beat BG Putnam United Um, but but I think City still have uh, the best squad and you know I've just outlined how much I think of Western United squad but Melbourne City have got you know, a real gun squad. You look at that front three, Lecky, Naboots, McLaren, and the fact that Tilio and Kolakowski, you know, having to rotate for, for spots. You've got young Jordan Boss, who I think has been outstanding oh, yeah. in the Champions League, who's pushing for a spot. They've got real strength in depth, and I still think it's going to take a very, very good team uh, to stop Melbourne City. In the finals or for the Premier's plate? Because their nearest Both. opponents in the in the league, the, the two other Melbourne teams, have had their number in, in the league so far this season. Yes. Well, that's true. Um, and, you know, we, we've not talked about victory yet. And victory are 13 matches on beat. I mean, this is, mm. it's a fascinating denouement to the season. You know, I love this where you've got three teams where you, you can basically throw a blanket over all three mm-hmm. and say there's not that much between them. That makes for a fascinating finals race. Normally, in, in recent years, you know, we've had one outstanding team, normally Sydney or, or then Melbourne City, who sort of took over last year. Um, this year, it's it's very, very tight to call. Um, so I think it makes it all the more interesting. Obviously, from where I sit in New South Wales, uh, not that I'm biased because I'm from Manchester, so it doesn't matter <laughs> to me. But, you know, it would be nice if one of those teams was from New South Wales. But goodness knows what's happened to football in this state this season. They're an absolute mess. Well, two massive... Uh rebuilds ensuing uh, for Sydney FC and, and Western Sydney Wanderers. Looks like it. 
Wanderers linked with Lawrence Thomas today, uh, potentially coming back from Denmark. I think uh, that would upset a few Melbourne Victory fans if he decided to defect to That's New South Wales. So I didn't see that. He is from New South Wales, though. He's, he's a Sydney boy by birth. That's true. Um, so he's going he's, back to his roots. But uh, yeah. the Wanderers' obsession with replacing Daniel Margush doesn't really it doesn't really click with me. I, I don't really understand that. Did you, did did you, you see Lawrence? his rugby tackle on the Brisbane yeah, Raw? Yeah. I did, I did. But that's, <laughs> no, that's, that's, there's I'm something kidding. in the water. You're, you're, underplaying, you're underplaying just how good Lawrence Thomas has been. He, he has become a fine mm. keeper. I first saw him playing, I think, in the NPL. He was playing for Bentley Greens. You might be right. A yeah. long, long, long time ago now. And he looked very special then. Very special then. I thought, gee, this, this young man's got something about him. And uh, the career, um, if, I'm, if I'm right, um, has blossomed and continued to grow. And to see him overseas, uh, just getting that extra experience. And it's, for goalkeepers, it's all about mm. making their mistakes uh, and learning from them. And he, 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 to me, has grown. He had that shoulder injury while he was at Victory, which curtailed uh, some of his performances. But I think he's got, I think he's got the quality to make himself uh, a very fine keeper because he's still very young. He is a very good goalkeeper. Yeah. And obviously yeah. he's a soccerer, full soccerer now. I, yeah. Josh is right, though. I, I, I do feel if that eventuates, I do feel a bit sorry for Daniel Margush because that, that howler against Brisbane aside, he's been very, very good this season. Um, whether he will settle for being a number two again. Mm. Because if you remember the start of the season, they brought in Thomas Machias from, yes. from overseas to replace him. Yeah. Um, and he's been relegated to the bench. So it, it seems clear that he's on his way at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd feel a bit sorry for Daniel if that was the case, because uh, he probably deserves that number one jersey on, on merit. Well, Simon, you talk about the need for bums on seats. I think we finally got a storyline to drive the rest of the A-League, that three-way race for the Premier's plate and then the finals. Dare you give us a, uh, a prediction for where that silverware will end up? Oh, dear me. Don't worry, we haven't asked you the other question yet about uh, the EPL. Will it be City or will it be the Red? Oh, that's an easy prediction for oh, Simon, I think. That's easier for me. Um, in terms of the A-League, oh, it's really difficult because each have got that. Look, I still think City will probably win the Premiership. I, I think Western have got a draw in them somewhere in those last three three games. Mm. And I think City will win both. So I'll stick my neck out and say that they'll win the Premier's plates in terms of the finals. It's just it's rich. I, I can't rule out victory. No, you can't. I cannot rule out victory. No, no. The run that they're on at the moment. I know they drew against Brisbane, but you know that, they've had such a heavy shed. I think they've got eight games in April, of which the, the eighth will be against Wellington tomorrow night. Um, but I can't rule out victory. Yeah. Oh, do you know what the great thing would be? And this is no disrespect to Western United. Sorry, Western United <laughs> fans, if you're listening in. Uh, an all Melbourne grand final. How good mm. would that be at Amy Park? Can I can I give you a glimpse? If there's a guy called Marco Rojas playing for victory, I'll be very uncomfortable because every time he looks at a city jumper, uh, he he just goes, "I'm dining out." <laughs> he's like, yeah. "It's my Uber Eats moment." So uh, and he's been he's been tremendous, and I can't understand why he's not in the all white side. Well, he might be recalled soon if this uh, form is anything to go on. <laughs> but uh, but Simon, you think Tony Popovich is going to break his own personal hoodoo and finally win an A League championship? Well, at some point Could he's be got the year. to, hasn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah, if he right. can't do it with victory, then who is he going to do it with? Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't like sticking my neck out and saying who's going to win it, but uh, if pushed, I'll say victory in the in the finals. I do, I do think City will be there. So let's go for an all Melbourne grand final and, wow. and victory to win it on the big day and Popper to break his duck. Wouldn't that be incredible? Simon, you've been very generous with your time. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. Have a good week. Thank you, Simon.